here it is. This is the dope ass mom talking about dope ass shit with dope ass people on my dope ass podcast. This week, I'm talking with the lovely Rachel Sobel, aka Wine and Cheez Its, about something especially dope to my heart mommy blogging. We're going to talk about the term mommy blogging. We're going to talk about what it means to be a mommy blogger and all the things that go along with it. And Rachel, is uh, especially dope to my heart because she was on the first season and the only season (laughs) (laughs) of The Real Housewives of Instagram. I don't know if any of my followers or her followers tuned in, but we got some good feedback. It was just kind of hard to to keep going with our limited editing skills. If there's anyone out there that is uh, an editor or a TV producer that wants to pick that up, we're open to that, right? We're, we're totally game. We're, we, we never did our reunion. We still we need never to get did on the that. reunion. Yeah. We never did it. But Rachel's a serious writer, and she writes for her blog, Wine and Cheez-Its, and she also is a contributor for Scary Mommy and Today's Parent and some other really cool things. So I want to welcome Rachel to the show. Thank you so very much. I, I yes. love, no one knows because they can't see, but I love the fact that we are both sitting in our closets right now because- What is that pink, that pink thing behind you? Is that a tutu? That's, that's my Halloween costume. Oh my gosh. What are you going to be for Halloween? It's a loofah and my husband is a bar of soap. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. <laughs> that is amazing. I figured I had to pick a costume that I could eat in that wouldn't show any of the food that I'm eating. So it's like a big giant loofah that covers my mom bod. And therefore, I can take down whatever food I want that night. That's really where my head was at. If That's I'm being amazing. Yeah. That is really, really a great idea. <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I, I'm always so last minute on my Halloween costume, so I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go with that one, especially at kids' Halloween parties. I feel like it's it's important to be able to eat. It really is. It's yeah. it's, it's my priority. Awesome. All right, well, let's get into it. So mommy bloggers, this is like a popular term that's being thrown around. What do we think? Do we like it? Do we shun it? Do we embrace it? You know, I almost feel the way about the term mommy bloggers that I do about the term influencer. I feel like it is completely accurate. I mean, that is essentially what I do, right? I blog about motherhood and parenting and marriage and divorce and all those things. So if you look at the term and extrapolate it from its negative connotations. I am a mommy blogger as I am an influencer because I work with brands, but both of those terms make me feel a little bit douchey. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like a self-deprecating thing. I get where they're coming from. So it's always used in my bio and descriptions because that's what people relate to. But it's one of those tough things that I think has gotten a bad rep from people because I think a lot of people attach themselves to those terms who aren't really doing it as their livelihood, and they give us all kind of a little bit of a bad name. I agree. And the, I think it's just the term mommy, right? Like yes. it's something that our kids call us. And I, I remember being at the doctor with my daughter, and she was like referring to me as mom. You know, she's like, and mom, what do you think? I was like, well, can I, I have a name? You're like, first of all, <laughs> right, right. You're yeah, first of like, all. Like my name's Andrea, um, <laughs> right. and you can refer to me as that since I did not birth you. Um, so it's just one of those things. I, I completely, yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. I mean, I embrace it because it does describe what I do, but I do cringe a little bit every time I use it because I wonder what people on the other end are thinking. Are they taking me seriously? Um, I take my writing seriously. I take my work seriously. But there's always that fear when you attach yourself to one of those buzzwords that you're going to be viewed differently. Completely, completely agree. So as a writer and a mommy blogger, take us through a typical day. How do you find the time to write with two young kids? What is what is your schedule like? Do you have a certain schedule? No, it's impossible. 
Um, thankfully, my younger one is in school full time now. And so that opened up my opportunity. But most of the time, if I'm being really honest, I am meeting deadlines, whether it's prompts that are given to me for the publications that I contribute for or my own pitches proactively that I come up with something that is interesting to me that I want to write about. Most of the time I'm writing with a toddler next to me who is pulling my arm off of the computer and wrapping it around her. So I have to type with one hand and that makes it take twice as long. Um, But I don't really have a set schedule and I don't go by an editorial calendar because I am a very much in the moment writer. And so I constantly have my phone out when something happens and I'm like, oh, this is something I need to write about. And I have notes and notes and notes and notes. And then eventually I get to them and I build out those articles and pitch them out to my publications or post them on my own blog. So I probably could be a little bit more organized with that, but I feel like that wouldn't be real life (laughs) for me. So um, I'm pretty transparent about my life on social media and what you see is what you get. And I think my writing falls into that as well. I get to it when I can get to it. Completely. And what do you, why do you think it's part of your brand to show those parts, like those painful parts or those, those different parts of motherhood? You know, I think that motherhood, you know, even on a good day, motherhood is really, really hard. And I think that with social media, there's always this intense pressure for people to show that they have their shit together and that they're doing it all. And I think in a sense, we are doing it all, but there's always things that fall through the cracks. There's always really crappy days. There's always tantrums. There's always marital fights. There's always dinner that gets spilled on the floor. And I felt like when I first started sharing on social media, I was seeing much more of those polished moments. And I felt like I needed to jump off the cliff a little bit and say, no, I'm not going to just show those pretty moments. I'm going to show when my kids throw a tantrum. I'm going to show when I have spit up dripping down my chest. I'm going to show all those things because I know there's other women out there in the trenches who relate to that, but are maybe a little bit hesitant to share that they don't have their shit together. And I I felt like it was important for all of us to embrace the fact that we don't always have a great day. We don't always do all the things we plan on doing. And that's totally okay. It's, It's normal and it's motherhood. Right. And did you ever have a moment where, or do you have moments still where you look at other people's feeds and and have that moment where you're like oh you find yourself comparing or find yourself down because it looks like someone else has their shit together or do you think you're just you just know better now and you don't have those anymore I think it's easy to have that self-doubt sometimes where you see certain pictures but I do talk myself down and I I can look at something now from a completely different lens because I'm so in that world of Instagram and social media and the people that I collaborate with and follow and share I can look at a picture and know right away if it's a staged picture or if it's just someone needed content for their feed that day. And I really, I don't even judge it. I don't care. You can post whatever you want to post, but I definitely look at it differently than I would have, I think, three years ago, five years ago, six years ago. Absolutely. And what do you think the conversation, you have two daughters, right? Mm -hmm. What do you think the conversation will be with them when they get on social media? Inevitably, it's, I have a daughter and a son, but I think more so for daughters, uh, my daughter's already asking to be on social media. What? What? How do you plan to like proactively? Um, I'm terrified. I'm terrified because you know, like you probably like me, get some pretty off color comments in your DMs and things. You know, people are mean and there are bullies out there, even when you're an adult. And I know I can deal with it because I'm a 42 year old woman who doesn't give a shit. And I'll put you in your place. But I look at my sweet innocent 10 year old daughter who's turning 11 this weekend, who's been begging me for Instagram and Facebook, and I have vigilantly said no. I think it is once you go there, you can't go back. You can't take a step back. And so 
she knows that she's not allowed to have social media for a while. Uh, she's navigating to try and get it in middle school next year, but I'm not even sure that I will do that. And it's tough because kids at that age, that's what they're doing. They're all on these social media channels the same way we are, even though they're sharing information. And so part of you doesn't want your child to be the social pariah, who's the only one that doesn't have access to these things. But I have to protect my child as a mother, even if she's not going to like my choices. And so we have a lot of transparent conversations about how she's not going to like the decisions I make sometimes, but she has to trust me. And she's pretty respectful of it. There's definitely some of that foot stomping and door slamming. And why can't I have this? I think it's very hard to put a child in that position where they don't know the gravity of the decisions that they're making and the stuff they're putting out there. And that's my biggest fear is that she'll do something so innocently that is not meant to be damaging, but will come back to bite her. Right. So it's scary, especially, you know, firsthand, you see what's out there. Do I want to expose her to that? No, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I agree. I think, I think the age is what, is it 12? For Instagram? I, yes, that, I think for it's either early. 12 or 13. It is. I mean, these kids are going through puberty. They don't know anything. They're making, you know, they're carving their way out into this little world and starting to make decisions that really impact their lives. And do I want that accessibility to her on social media? Right. I mean, I can't imagine having having my childhood been on social media. Oh, um, I thank all those God every day. And things that we did. <laughs> no, I think stuff. about I was in college in the 90s, you know, wearing Von Dutch hats and all of the Stussy shirts, not even surfing, but had every single bit of like surf paraphernalia because that was cool. And I think about all of those moments with my friends and if they would have been documented on social media. And I'm thankful that it didn't exist because there's no coming back from that. Totally. We were hoochie mamas, right? We really were. <laughs> I mean, I still have it in me. I like to twerk every once in a while when the I know. I wanted strikes. to talk about that phrase with you, hoochie mama. <laughs> what is a hoochie mama? So I don't know how universal it is. I guess it's more um, in cities and stuff where the music tends to be a little bit grimier and dirtier and the hardcore rap. But I grew up in Miami where it was you were surrounded by bass and hip hop and all that stuff. So in my prime, in my teens and 20s, we were in clubs, as they called booty dancing. Now it's called twerking where you're, you know, popping it a little bit. And I'm <laughs> not ashamed because it is part of my heritage and part of my livelihood and um, I will never be embarrassed about it, but it, I feel like it's making a resurgence now. It's just called something different. The fear right. is when what you is see it called now? it's called twerking. It? twerking. I think it's called okay. twerking. I think that's yeah, what the yeah. youngins call it. Yeah. Uh, but I'm all about it. I'm what you know. It's I think when you grow up in certain places regionally and growing up in Miami, where it was called booty music, was such a big genre of music. It is in my bones. I can't not hear certain songs now and want to get down even at my age. And so I, I hope that never goes away. I hope I always feel that way. Um, but I know that among my people and my my crowd and my audience who read my stuff, I have a lot of fellow hoochie mamas who oh, relate yeah. to that. I'm a hoochie mama for sure. Yeah, you are. I think it keeps us young. It does. What are some of your favorite songs now and and then? Let's talk about your past favorite songs. And maybe they're the same. There's, there's a few. I mean, listen, every girl has those songs that make you instantly turn to a stripper, right? Right. Like your clothes start <laughs> totally. to come off and you look for a pole. Um, my favorite all time song that really I can't hear it without wanting to just shake my ass is by two live crew or uncle Luke. And it's called scarred. 
And okay. it is profane and disgusting. And I don't know that I can I can remember that song. Oh, can you give us so... could you give us a little ditty? Could you give um, us a little preview I don't of it? No, it starts with Captain D coming, Captain D coming, Captain D coming. That's like the opener, and yeah. that's when I start to bounce and I can't yeah. help it. And then there's a lot of stuff that I think probably never made it your way, like very Miami stuff, Uncle okay. Al and Splack Pack and all those really dirty profane the more profane the better i love it i probably shouldn't because i'm a woman but there's it does something to you don't you think it wakes up something or it taps into something maybe that <laughs> a primal thing there's something a primal, primal or something yes. that we're you know we're probably i don't know about you but you're probably a good girl a little bit growing I am. up and yes and it taps into that sort of it unleashes rebellion? a beast that needs yes it unleashes yes. a beast that sometimes beast. needs to come out yes yes I my love biggest it. fear though is that my daughter will then hear some of that music and she had you know I have rhythm I do yeah I danced my whole life and so I have the train rhythm I have the ghetto rhythm I have it all it's like a nice little package I've noticed lately it's genetic because I'll see my daughter my older one dancing and I'm like oh god she has it I see the butt popping a little bit I'm like oh god she has it what am I gonna do then I see my younger one and she's she has her father's rhythm and I'm like oh thank praise the baby Jesus that only one of them will probably be have to be contained a little bit. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. What are your favorite songs now? And do you um, censor your your music around your kids? Um, I love that question. So my favorite songs now, I still am stuck in the 90s. Like my playlist is a lot of 90s hip hop and old school rap because it's just who I am. But I love a lot of the music my daughter listens to, like all the Shawn Mendes stuff and the yeah, me too. Um, Halsey and Billie Eilish. I'm into it. I really, really like it. It makes me feel super old that I'm taking musical cues from her. But I think that happens. I think it gets thrown back at us that way where our kids become the trendsetters and we become the followers. That's a little bit of a weird dynamic for right. me. Um, I don't censor, you know, I'm very careful. Like there are certain things, if there are like racial slurs in songs, I am super sensitive and I don't want my kids exposed to that and so we do talk about that if there are certain words that I don't want to be used I tell my kids it's like the worst things you could possibly say and that's why we don't listen to it but if there's you know they're saying shit or the f-bomb or whatever my kids are not dumb they know they hear it in other places and so we we always talk about how there's certain things that are appropriate for the car with mommy and there's certain things that you don't listen to with friends like we listen to every morning on the way to school we have a song of the year. Last year, it was Drake's Nice For What. Oh, I love that song. It's a great song. It's a great song. It's just a feel-good song. It is. And so that was our song on the way to school. This year, so far, it's been Lizzo Truth Hurts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we don't censor that too much. And my my toddler is just screwed because I was like a nun around my older one until she was like eight. Um, and she thought the worst word in the world was stupid. And I was like, God, I really lasted a long time with this one. And my toddler does not stand a chance. She's heard it all. So uh, do you think <laughs> why do you think that changed between the two, the two girls? Don't you feel like you got lax with your sec? I don't know. I feel more. Yeah. I feel like in some ways I'm because I know more, I'm more protective. And so you don't have that ignorance you have when you have your first child where right. everything is just roses and sunshine. But I think I don't care about his things as much. I felt a lot of pressure with my first child to take the pacifier away at a certain time to make sure I was sleep training her. I don't really, I'm kind of letting my second one set the tone for those things because I don't feel that pressure anymore. I'm comfortable in my skin as a mother. I'm comfortable in my skin as having a blended family. I just feel much more comfortable all around and I don't feel that immense pressure to do things a certain way with her. And I just think it works for all of us to be a little bit more relaxed with some of the bigger stuff that I cared about more with my first one. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. And I think that's also great advice for 
new moms too, right? Like going through it and thinking about as they're growing their family, like you kind of just have to let it let it flow and see everyone's so different in the family, right? Like everyone has such a different personality. So And there's that running joke. Like I don't know how you work with my first one, I have the baby book with everything. Her lock of hair. Totally. Everything. I mean, towards the end you can tell when I got lazy and stuff is just shoved in there. Right. But my little one doesn't even have a baby book. I just keep taking all of the like notes from her pediatrician with her like percentiles and shoving them in a folder. And I'm like, this poor kid has a folder. My first one has a bedazzled book. You just. But do you think they're going to, I mean, when they're no. 15, are they going to no. be like, what percentile was I, no. was I no. in an eight? No. <laughs> no. She's not going to be like, mom, where's my lock of hair? Where's my hair? Totally. My fir- where's my first tooth, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> I have those too. Do you save teeth? I used to, but then I just, it got a little weird, right? It's like, weird. It's just, you find them in the drawer and you're like, what no, is this? it's fucking weird. And I have them. They're randomly like, I'll just find a tooth. And I'm like, oh, here's, whose is this? Whose tooth totally. is this? Is it a dog like or a, a human? It's like a voodoo yeah. doll or something. I don't understand it. It's so weird. It, only moms, like. Motherhood is weird. Motherhood yeah, it is, is weird. weird. It's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. Okay, so let's talk about the blended family aspect. Like, going through your divorce and. I feel like this is the age now where a ton of my friends are going through it. People are just sort of, you know, kind of moving into that second part of their life where they know more of what they want, where they have changed, they've grown, you know, maybe they've outgrown their partner, they're contemplating it. Mm -hmm. Do you have advice for someone who's going through it, like who's really in it? Do you have anything? I, You know, I get, I think the most common question, I've said this before when I've been asked this question is... People come out of the woodwork when you get divorced, people you know and strangers, because it's a point of connection. It's something that they know that nobody else in their life can relate to because it's such a specific set of circumstances. And many women do reach out and say, how did you know it was time? And you know what, what steps did you take? And I think it's so subjective because everybody's situation is different. I always say, if you have children, fight tooth and nail to save that marriage if you can, because it is so hard being divorced, especially when you have to co-parent and you ha- you don't have your kid with you 24-7 and you lose that accessibility, it sucks. It sucks. I am almost a decade out, nine years out, and it still sucks not having my child on certain holidays and things like that. But I think you know your own threshold and only you know if you have reached your- that threshold. If you are at the point where you feel like you are a shell of yourself and you're not living and you're just existing and you're walking on eggshells and you hear the key in the door every day and you're like, oh, what's it going to be today? You have to do a little bit of a gut check and say to yourself, is this healthy? Can I sustain a life like this? And there's not a right or wrong answer. You have to decide that. I think that many people feel pressured to stay together for the kids. And I understand that completely because I felt that. But then I would say, but this isn't healthy for her to see two parents that aren't constantly showing affection to each other and have a functional relationship. And arguing is part of that too. I I strongly believe that Kids who grew up in houses where their parents hide everything, where they don't see their parents have negative interactions too, grow up in a bubble where they think that it's not healthy. And I think it's incredibly healthy to disagree with your spouse and then have your kids see healthy resolution. Um, Not to say you should be like screaming and attacking each other in front of your kids, but I think kids need to see all aspects of a marriage to have a very healthy understanding. And so once I realized that I was in a situation where my child wasn't benefiting from us being together. It wasn't healthy for her. And it was a very hard decision to make. And it's still, there are times where it still feels hard, but I think you have to do in your gut what you feel is best for yourself. 
and your kids because your kids need a healthy mother. They need a mother who is happy and thriving and functioning. So if you can't do that married to your kid's father, then it's okay to to examine the alternative possibilities to that life. And now you're on the other side of it. You said nine, nine years ago. Looking back, is there anything that you would, I don't know, not have done differently, but is there any advice you would give to someone going through it that you now, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah. Looking back saying, oh, I wish I would have done this. Or are you pretty much at peace and pretty much? Um... I'm at peace. You know, it's hard for me to say, oh, I wish I would have done it earlier. Oh, I wish I would have held on longer because I think that the path that I took led me to where I am. Yeah. And I know that where I am is exactly where I'm supposed to be. I met an incredible man who loved my child, which is not easy to do when it's not your child. I think about it too. Could I love someone else's child? He was so embracing of my life as a mother and my child before we had a baby together that had I not done what I did the way I did it and the timing I did it, I wouldn't be where I am now. And so it's very hard to have regrets about anything. I think the biggest thing that I learned in retrospect is that I had so much self-imposed mom guilt for Hmm. ending a marriage and agreeing to end a marriage and having my daughter be in a broken home that she didn't choose, I still have mom guilt about it. When I see her go to her dad's and I'm here with her sister and her stepfather and we're living our life isolated while she's with her dad, I feel tremendous amounts of guilt that I have to keep reminding myself she's okay, she's resilient, this is, everything's okay, but it's hard. It doesn't ever go away completely. Yeah. Mom guilt is such a, like... Oh, it's a motherfucker. It is a motherfucker. And I don't know that other generations experienced it, obviously not exactly like we do, because I think we're all different. But I do believe, like, my mom worked full time. My dad worked full time. I don't know that she felt, I don't know, maybe she did. I should ask her. But I do feel like it's a new kind of maybe stronger phenomenon now. And I can't figure it out why. Do you have any ideas about why? Is it because we've, a lot of us are choosing careers that, you know, quite frankly, I, I'm choosing a career that I don't have to do, right? Like, I, it's kind of like I'm following my passion. I think we're starting to follow our passions more than we are surviving. Yes. And I think that comes with a little bit more of like, well, should I just be a mom? Should I just be, you know, making their uh, bento box lunches and <laughs> and sort of... <laughs> that they're not going to eat and they're going to throw everything out? Right. Yeah. Like, what do you, and how do you deal with that? How do you deal with... How do you I walk do... yourself through it? I do think that I think you're totally right. I think there's a couple different things going on. I think that in our parents' generation, there was a very clear path. I think women went to college and they either got married right out of college or they had a career and then they had got married later. I think there was very little room for flexibility in terms of what your life was supposed to look like. It was very, very traditional in a lot of ways, whether the mother worked or not. I think that our generation, the reason that there's been such a shift and so much of a change is because we are all talking so openly about things that our parent generation didn't talk about. We're talking about marriage. We're talking about divorce. We're talking about miscarriage. We're talking about infertility. We're talking about not working corporate and following your passion. All these things that I think were off limits to talk about are now ongoing conversations, which are normalizing so many things about motherhood that I think people swept under the rug for so many years. And so I think that because we're all a little bit more open about living differently than our parents did. And our kids are seeing that like my children are watching me hustle every day and building a business just like you are doing things a little bit differently. We're not sitting in an office nine to five. And I did that life too. I had that as well. I think it's pretty incredible that our kids, especially girls, 
get to see their mothers doing something, following their passion and monetizing it. That's a pretty powerful thing for little girls to see that they don't have to go to college and be a doctor, a lawyer, accountant. And there's nothing wrong with those paths, but they have options to do so much more now. And we didn't have that. I don't think we had that growing up. My parents were always super supportive and told me I could do whatever I wanted, but you still went to college, you picked a major and you did something within that major. You didn't just say, I'm going to go off the grid and do my own thing. Right. Yeah, we are kind of forging a path for that. I do like that. I also think that, like you said about the the kind of talking about these taboo things that weren't discussed, I feel like we're sort of healing it, you know, like by writing, I, I know you probably, or maybe you do, maybe you don't, but do you find writing to be healing? I mean, do you think that's part of a, right. Incredibly. It's cathartic. The, the writing part is cathartic, but for me, the magic comes when you share a piece of yourself that is so vulnerable and maybe it's not the levity and the funny stuff that I started with. And then you have people message you or comment and they are, yes, yes, I feel that too. I'm so glad you shared. That for me is when it becomes so validating because you feel less alone because motherhood, even if you're happy and fulfilled, is very polarizing. It's a very polarizing thing to be a mother because we all have our own ideals and perspectives. And I think when we start to share and realize that there are certain parts where we can come together and connect, I think that it makes motherhood much, much easier to feel like you have people in your corner. I agree. Yeah, it's nice to say, to put yourself out there and say something that maybe normally you wouldn't and have someone else to just be like, you know what, I get it. I I can relate. I'm in there. I'm in there with you. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about the rise of memes? Do you think there's something with that? I think there's something with the picture and the writing and the and the levity of it, but it also being so true. I think memes are gold. I think the reason memes have taken off and they're so amazing is because there are these, again, points of relatability, but you don't have to dig into a 1200 word essay. It's like right there. There's that digestible piece of information, whether it's serious or funny or heartfelt, everybody throughout their life, you can find something to relate to and they're so shareable. And so you probably hear all the time, people are screenshotting memes and sending them to friends or tagging people on Instagram, or it's just this way that we all relate to each other. And it seems so silly because there's these little squares with text and a picture or a GIF or whatever it is, but we all find commonplace. And that's another thing. I can post something that is so innocuous, you know, a, a one-liner and then you see all of a sudden you have thousands of people commenting and you're like, oh, that really that really struck a chord with people. And it was like, to me, it was nothing. It was my morning in the carpool line and I shared it and all these people are relating. And I just think it's one of those things, again, that broadens the net and makes you feel like you have this virtual tribe of people who are high-fiving you along the way and nodding and they get it. And so I love memes. I love them. I do too. I love them too. I've yet to create my own. You but should. I, I want to do it. Yeah. You should. Yeah. You have all the you have all the material. I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> what are your, some of your favorites right now? Can you think of any that you just like, of my just own or other people? Either one, either one. Um, yeah. There's one. It is still one of my favorites. It's from Not the Worst Mom. She is like comedic gold, and she's so real and unfiltered. Which she's. I love not just funny women. I love smart funny women. That to me is that is my jam. So Not the Worst Mom has one, and it's a video clip, and it's two guys on stage rapping and she has little captions and over one of them it says uh, my husband yelling at the kids after I've had like a shit day when when he finally gets home and on the other one who's just like pointing to the rapper validating him like a hype man she's she says me 
Oh, and I've seen that so, one. Yeah, I know it's hard because yeah. I'm, I'm describing, <laughs> but that. Oh my god, I posted that one, and the amount I couldn't. I mean, it was like within like an hour, there were like twenty five thousand views. It is so good, and it's so funny, and it's so relatable that no matter what your parenting journey is, everybody can relate to like watching the clock until your spouse gets home to take the kids off your hands because you have had it and you're done. And it's just one of those things. One of my favorites um, of my mind that still gets shared to this day, and I still laugh when I see it because it's so true, is um, it's words. It's not an image. And it says, if you like a toddler staring you square in the vagina as you change your tampon, then motherhood is for you. And that is based on a true story because you find me a mother who has not changed a tampon in front of her kids staring, trying to figure out what's going on. And I'll show you a liar because it happens. It's so true. Oh, my gosh. I so (laughs) have had those moments. I so have had those. And I struggle with like when to like explain it. You know, like at what point do I say, well, this is, you know, what's happening to mommy's body. I mean, I have I don't know. Someone needs to I need to read a book or something. With my first, I was like that with my first. I was like. You know, it's like, where do babies come from? They come from when mommy and daddy have a special hug and God sings and you're like, <laughs> you know, you make up these ridiculous things because you're trying to shelter your kid from right, something that right. is so normal. Sex is normal. Sex, There's nothing wrong with sex, but we're so scared for our kids to know we do it. And I'll tell you now, my 10-year-old, who is very aware of what sex is because they started like sex and health education, she says to me now the funniest thing. She's like, mom, do you ever look at people who have kids and you're like, oh my God, they had sex. And I'm like, yes, as a matter of fact, I do have those thoughts. So it's like, I think it's okay to answer those questions as honestly as you're comfortable with, but it is a little bit weird to talk about the period thing and the tampon thing and when's the right time. I don't know that there's a right time. I think you just, when you feel like comfortable sharing, you share, you know? I guess. Yeah. I mean, I've said to my kids, like I've told them that the baby comes out of the vagina. Uh huh. I've told them that you need a sperm and you need an egg. Uh huh. See, you're ahead of the game. They don't know how it gets there. But they right. don't get like the, you know, the like. <laughs> I, if you guys can't see me, but I'm doing the like the, the, really the mature hole, the finger, finger in the hole. <laughs> They don't really get that part. Right. You know, they've never asked, you know, if they were if they pressed and they were like, OK, mom, but like, how does the like sperm meet the egg? You know, like they just but do like, you kind remember. Of- do you remember? Because I can't remember. My parents were very open and liberal. And I know we talked about things. I have zero memory of like having the talk. I can't think of. Like, I know, I know, obviously know what sex is. I know I learned about it as a young girl, but I can't remember the moment where my parents said to me, this is what happened. So it makes me wonder, like, is that really a pivotal moment? I don't remember it. Or did they just not have it with you? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't remember it. I'm going to have to ask my mom. I know. Should we? Maybe we should conference them in. <laughs> <laughs> New podcast idea. Um, I remember being in school and having, like, um, this woman was making pancakes with her daughter. Okay. And she, like poured the pancake batter into like ovaries and a uterus come on yeah and she was like explaining like you know like she like drizzled the batter and was like These she are made the anatomical pancakes to yes. explain sex so maybe maybe i'll do that that's you, please <laughs> please not only do it but please document it and record it i would love i i'm here for it i would right? love to see you explain sex through pancakes a little igtv <laughs> And then yes. people can share it with their children. There's an idea too. for you. Yeah. You should take, yeah. you should actually, here's an idea, Andrea. I think you should take all of the old school, like you remember, I'm sure, being in sex ed or whatever it was that we had when we were younger and you see those horrible videos of childbirth where it's like full on 70s bush. 
and you see the baby crowning, all that stuff. I yep. feel like you should do a modern version of all of those terrible 70s videos and you should zhuzh them up a bit, make yeah. them modern, and that could be a new business idea for you. I love it. I love it. We just need to think of a title. Okay. All It'll right. be called... Um, sex Through Pancakes. Sex Through Pancakes. And all the girls will have... Uh, what do you, It's like, what is it called? Now they, it's not a bush anymore. It's like, it's like, oh, like well, they, there's different, you know, people do the yeah. landing strip, people yeah, do yeah. nothing. There's variations. Yeah. Variations. Hair has taken on, it's evolved. It has evolved. <laughs> it has evolved. It has. Okay. So what is one thing that most people don't know about you? Oh, I feel like I'm such an open book. I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, one of the fun facts that seems to surprise people, even though a lot of people know, but I guess... As I get new people following my account, they're like, what, really? I did have an 18-episode stint on MTV's The Grind when I was 18 years Stop old. It. Yes, I did. Oh, my God. Yeah. Did you do the yeah. pepper seed? What's that? That's that, that like, do the pepper seed. It's like that oh, move where you, no, like, shake your shoulder. No, I mean, I have, a, I have my own shoulder shake, my own shoulder shimmy that I have patented along the years. But, um, yeah, I missed my final exams. I was a very good student, so my teachers allowed me to – I either took them early or took them late. I took a week off of school, and I went to South Beach, and they filmed at a hotel, and they filmed over two or three days. We had all these, like, outfit changes. What hotel in South Beach? Do you remember? It was the Raleigh. It was okay. the Raleigh Hotel. I don't even know if it's I still open. I love South Beach. I, I love it there. I can't say how I really feel because I'm supposed to be supportive of South Florida and not alienate people, but I grew up in Miami, and I have very strong feelings about Miami. I think people who don't live there, I get the allure of it. I just, I am such a homebody that I like to be in my house with a bottle of wine, eating all the pasta instead of watching all the people with perfect bodies walking around not eating. <laughs> oh, got it. Got sense. it. Got it. Yeah, completely. Completely. And I only started going there as an adult with children. I know. We're in a fight. Where You and I are in a fight because Miami is very close to me and I've seen you there multiple times. And then I never get like a DM or a text being like, hey, Rachel, let's meet for dinner. Okay. I didn't realize how close. I'm so yes. bad at geography. Yeah, I close. didn't realize how close you were. I'm close. Next so time next for time, sure. I go time. there all the time. I love it there. Listen, don't rub it in. Don't be cocky and rub it in. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, that's, that's probably like the most known fact that gets the most. Okay. So were you after. like. You were a backup dancer on the grind. So they basically placed us all around like strategic points around the swimming pool. Like I was actually in a bathing suit, which when I think about that, I was like, oh my God, I danced in public on TV in a bathing suit with my hoochie hair. I had like hair down to my hips. That's amazing. My eyebrows were not yet waxed because I was 18 and didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> and I was wearing like little booty shorts from Contempo Casuals. I actually went shopping at Contempo and bought all the, the whorish clothing. Yes. And we love changed it. and they would just, you'd come out of the dressing room. They'd be like, okay, you stand here, you stand here, you stand here. And they would just play music and we would dance and they'd be like, okay, cut. And we'd eat the shitty craft services food while Eric Neese, who is so hot. Oh, Eric Neese. Oh, so hot. Um, was eating, you know, really delicious, like five-star food. And we're eating like mac and cheese and toast and God knows what, but it was the best time of my life. I mean, I was 18 doing what I thought was way more important than taking final exams. And it's still one of my best memories. Oh, that's amazing. I loved The Grind. I would actually, I would watch it now. And, and like, I did a couple of The Grind, like, workout videos. Mm -hmm. You know? Yep, yep. I'm yep. familiar. So that's amazing. <laughs> okay, so what what's one thing that you do or advice to give to someone to live a dope-ass life? Because this podcast is all about sort of breaking the mold and, and doing things on your own terms. So how do you live a dope-ass life? I think the biggest thing, and it's going to sound cliche, but it's so true, and it took me 42 years to get here, 
stop caring what other people say you should do or think, especially when it comes to motherhood. You can post a question in one of those mom's Facebook groups and get a million different opinions. I think that motherhood is so personal that you should not be bothered with everyone else's opinions and you are, there are no experts. There aren't. I I know people write books and they call themselves experts. You are the only expert in your children. And I think it's a very hard thing to remember that when you're hit with so many opinions and judgments and that's never going to go away because judges are always going to judge and haters are going to hate. So I think my best piece of advice is, I know it's easier said than done, but you do what feels right to you and stop giving a shit what everybody else thinks is expected of you. And you will immediately become happier when you can embrace that. I love that. And with social media, the opinions and the judgments are so prevalent. (laughs) But you know what? Here's what you do with social media. And it took me, again, a very long time. Delete, unfriend, block, ban. You have power. Mute is my favorite. Mute is my favorite. You don't have to be a victim on social media to people being assholes. You can tune them out. So take advantage of all those tools and cut that toxicity out. You don't need it. Don't need it. I love it. I love it. All right, Rachel, well, tell people where they can find you online and offline um, if they and they want to learn more, because I'm sure they will. Yes. So I am based in South Florida. So if any of you guys are based in South Florida, I'm super friendly. When I see you at events, I'd love for you to say hello. And I, I actually have had many people be like, are you Wine and Cheez-Its instead of Rachel? And I love it. So don't ever, I want, I would legally change my name to Wine and Cheez-Its if I could, <laughs> because I feel like it means people are paying attention. Um, but you can find me online. My blog is Wine and Cheez-Its, wine with an H, and Cheez-Its.com. All of my writing is housed there. And then on social, I am at Wine and Cheez-Its on everything except Twitter, where they would not give me the and. I don't know why. So it's just at Wine Cheez-Its. And she's she's verified, people. I, she I is am verified. Legit. I'm legit. I'm still blue waiting check. for my bags of money to come from my blue check mark. But um, yes, so that's that's where you can find me. And I try very hard to respond to every single person that messages and comments um, as much as I can. It gets overwhelming. But I really do like engaging with everybody and having those conversations. Yeah, you can tell. You can totally tell that Thank in your brand. You. And oh, I had one question I wanted to ask you and I have to ask it. What's your favorite wine and what's your favorite flavor of Cheez-It? Oh, my favorite Cheez-It is just the original. I, I'm a purist. I like them all, but the original Cheez-It is the best, in my opinion. My favorite wine, it's actually a, um, The Prisoner by Oren Swift is my favorite wine. It's a red blend and it is delicious. I prefer like red blends and heavier reds. I do not like white wine. I think I have had that before. They serve it at restaurants. It is delicious. Yep. The Prisoner and another one by them is called Shatter. Those are my favorite. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. That was pretty dope shit, right? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. And there's more where that came from. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) All right, Rachel. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. You ain't nothing but a hoochie mama. Hood rat, hood rat, hoochie mama. Do you remember that song? I don't know. This episode got me thinking. Maybe we're all just closet hoochie mamas or mommy bloggers clinging to some memory of our past. You know, our hoochie mama selves before the responsibilities took away our twerk. I don't know about you, but I'm embracing the hoochie and the mommy and I'll be blasting my gangster rap in the pickup line until further notice. Thank you so much for joining in today. Please leave a review if you loved this episode. You can find me at Andrea Levoff on Instagram and at www.andrealevoff.com. Thanks, y'all.
This podcast was produced by Dante32.